Information about the world of running, inspiration to fuel passion and excellence, and ideas for making connections and finding community. You're listening to A to Z Running. Welcome to the A to Z Running Podcast, where we help runners thrive. I'm Andy, recording remotely in Dallas, Texas. Aren't you always recording remotely when you're recording for people to listen to a podcast? The thought just struck yeah, me. Yeah, but I'm remote to from describe our it studio. Like, we're always remote from our listeners, in some sense. That's true. What is remote, really? Hey, and I am Zach, and I am not in Dallas. But we have a great episode for you here in conversation with Todd Buckingham once again. So you recall back on the episode about the science of building fitness, an incredible conversation and one that you must hear if you haven't already gone back and listened to that episode. So Todd is rejoining us precisely to discuss cycling for runners. And so when we think about as runners, what we need to do to enjoy biking as it needs to be for our to serve our running things like if you're injured things like if you need to supplement your training or if you just like cycling and you want to add that into your repertoire so this conversation is all about the way to make that best for our running goals and needs definitely a good one in addition to that we've got some great information coming at you from the latest in the world of running including things like the london marathon the next installment on the majors circuit that is uh, very loaded and busy this fall as well as a new world record and a potential upcoming attempt at an american record so many good things stick around after our conversation with todd to hear those updates as well and of course in order to get all of the good information that you want and need from us you need to go to a tozrunning.com click the word follow at the top of the screen it's right next to the word coaching which is another great thing to click and peruse if you're in any kind of need of coaching or training support and while you're at it go to places like youtube podcast platforms social media and all of the other ways that you interact with humans via digital spaces because that's a place where we are too and you can find us at a to z running subscribe click the little notifications so that you don't have to do the dirty work of trying to figure out where we are when we're posting content and we'll just send it right to you mm -hmm. and i want to thank you those of you who have helped me personally as i have had to withdraw from the 25k championships that was disappointing for me and many of you have experienced similar types of decisions that have had to be made in the sport of running when we're having something that's nagging or these decisions like you know am i going to risk injury is this worth risking injury for this race and i had just some great comments when i had posted this on instagram that i wanted to share Jesse wrote this, I admire your ability to step back and make the smartest decision. That's not easy. I keep telling myself that there's no rush. I'm glad you're putting it into practice. I hope I can too. It will pay off for you in the long run. I hope so, Jesse. Thank you for those kind words. There's so many people. I also hope people... that it pays off for you in races, not just in your long runs. Oh, yeah. In the long run, Zach. <laughs> I know. That's what I just said. Yeah. 
Okay. And then also Sarah said, had to pull back from my first marathon training. I pushed too hard, too fast and got burnout and I didn't enjoy running anymore, making a new goal with a new deadline. And sometimes we realize that like we can still have goals, but we might need to change the deadlines for things in order to do it healthily. So it's just, I'll, uh, it's like a, I'll see you later type of thing to our dreams and our goals. So thank you to everyone for that support. There's so many people I could have mentioned in this and I appreciate you. I appreciate you very much. Now, our sponsor for the episode is Roof Tree Health. You've heard me talk about this elite massage gun, post about this elite massage gun, and many of you have started posting about this elite massage gun too because you've had a chance to use it. And I'm working some long days here in Texas and I'm on my feet and I'm walking to and from work, which is about a mile each way. And I am so glad that I have this elite massage gun to help me with my sore and tired muscles. It is a great tool to be using before you run to get your muscles warmed up, but also it's great for after, for you know delayed on, uh, onset muscle soreness. Uh, it helps aid in recovery by bringing blood flow and circulation to those sore places as well. So lots of reasons to use Roof Tree Health, and this is again the Elite Massage Gun, and they are the sponsor of this week's episode. So thank you to Roof Tree. Well, that being the case, now we've got some great content for you. So let's go ahead and move right on to our conversation with Todd Buckingham. Well, as noted for our main topic here, we've got Todd Buckingham, PhD, joining us once again. And if you missed his proper introduction last time, let me reiterate for you. Todd Buckingham is the lead exercise physiologist at Mary Freebed Sports Rehabilitation Performance Lab. We've got the website there linked in the post for your information. You definitely want to check it out. Um, in addition to doing the good work with Mary Freebed, Todd himself is a two-time world champion sprint and Olympic distance triathlete, 11-time national champion for the United States in multi-sport events, including triathlon, duathlon aquathlon which we will discuss in the conversation here a lot of interesting things going on there he's run a 108 22 half marathon a 225 29 marathon and worked with all levels of athletes from beginner to ncaa division one to professional in his work through mary freebed and various exercise physiology and kinesiology types of things he's earned his phd in kinesiology from michigan state university also an expert in endurance performance testing and studied performance in triathletes for his dissertation so you can and see Todd is the kind of expert we need for a conversation like this. And what is that conversation? Let me remind you as we get into it here, we're going to be discussing what cycling looks like for runners and what it ought to look like for runners. And there's a few different scenarios that we kind of break down. And one of them is the replacement scenario. Like if you're injured or you need a break from running and you need to do something different for a while, what does cycling look like during a time like that? And the other is supplementing. So whether you need to add some more volume to your work, but don't want to or can't do it in running and want to add it another way, uh, cycling as an aerobic endeavor, um, what does that look like? Or if you just want you know, for the enjoyment of it, you like cycling and you want to include that in your repertoire as you're training and you're running as well, um, and certainly some kind of nuances in between those big categories as well. Um, and then we do touch on what you need to make sure you know or have or need to do so that your bike experience is 
a positive one. An excellent conversation. Let's go ahead and jump right into it. Here's Todd Buckingham. Welcome back, Todd Buckingham, PhD of Mary Freebet. So we, we gave your full bio uh, prior to this. I'm not going to go into all those details, but this is also your second time joining us for such a conversation. So Todd, I, first, I just have to say thank you for tolerating us once again. No, thank you for having me. I'm surprised that you guys invited me back. You know, I think that the feeling's mutual. Thanks for tolerating me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. That's it's uh, it means at least something when a podcast host asks you a second time around, then you kind of feel like, OK, I, I did something right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or to explain yourself for doing something wrong the last time. So hoping right. it's the former rather. Than the latter. Well, in fact, we have some questions for you. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and, and for our audience, you know, the reminder that our previous conversation, one of the things we appreciated about it, Todd, is you were able to help us garner some understandings about how our body works in, as runners and some of the things that we're trying to do when we're building fitness. And we thought to ourselves, you being a multi-athlete with myriad expertises, as well as this work that you do um, in physiology and sports physiology. So, the question came to our, our mind and our audience already knows this, but the reason in, in my mind why this was so prevalent is because I am myself recovering now from I'm six weeks off of running at this point and I'm going to attempt to run. Uh, so this is going to date when our conversation, but I'm going to attempt to run tomorrow for the first time in six All weeks right. um, on some turf. You know, I've done, I've done some things on like an alter G treadmill at mm -hmm. very low body weight, but um, so I've been on the bike a lot and many runners end up on the bike out of necessity. Many others love the bike, regardless of whether it's needed. And many who listen are also multi-athletes themselves, and biking is, is a staple part of what they do. Um, so with all of that in mind, we're really just curious, how can we understand the cycling side of human physiology a bit better? And how can we address within our training how to make sure we're doing things well, regardless of where we're trying to fit that piece into the puzzle? So that's that's the frame here. Um, if you would, Todd, just just give us a little bit of like biking. Tell us about biking a little bit. Yeah, let's talk about biking. You know, it, it fits great into the, the multi-sport uh field that, that I'm in with triathlon. So, you know, on the last pod, well, not the last podcast, but one of the recent podcasts you guys did about aqua jogging. So now we're hitting all three aspects of the triathlon. So I think we're turning this into a triathlon podcast instead of just a running podcast. And I love it. <laughs> um, but yeah, just like with, with your aqua, aqua jogging podcast, you know, cycling definitely has its place too. So, um, you know, it's, it's a great way to build cardiovascular fitness and aerobic fitness um, without the stress and pounding on the muscles and joints like running. So running is, is a weight bearing exercise, right? We're, we're hitting the ground and really jarring the entire chain from the foot all the way up. Um, whereas cycling, it's non-weight bearing. We're just pedaling the wheels over and over and, and it really helps to um, alleviate that extra stress that running places on the joints. Same thing with aqua jogging. So aqua jogging and cycling um, are very similar in that respect where we can add aerobic volume without increasing that pounding on the joints and potentially causing extra injury. So if runners like yourself were doing a hundred miles a week, you're going to experience a lot of potential injuries like you have yours. 
Um, and so supplementing with cycling or aqua jogging, which I don't think any of us would choose aqua jogging on, a, on its own unless we're injured, but supplementing, you know, instead of 100 miles a week, maybe 80 miles a week, and then we do, you know, some extra hours on the bike to still get that aerobic uh, endurance training without the extra pounding on the joints and, and potentially alleviate some of that injury risk. So cycling definitely has a place whether you are healthy or you're injured and it can be a, a replacement or it can be an addition to. And we will definitely appreciate that. We'll definitely walk both those paths here in a moment. Um, I'm curious too, because there's one other aspect that I often hear those who cycle at a higher level and more frequently than me describe it as there's a distinct difference in at least one aspect because on, on the bike, you're basically pushing the whole time. So, so this like muscular, I don't, I don't even know the right words to say here. So I want you to actually correct me, but the muscular endurance or strength endurance or something like that. I hear people use phrases like that um, in contrast with running where it's not, you're, you don't have that constant pressure on the pedal kind of dynamic. What, what's going on there with our bodies and how is that similar or different from running? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's a couple different things I want to touch on. First is uh, you can either ride inside or outside. So we have the indoor stationary trainers and then you can get outside. Getting outside is great. You know, you can, you can ride for miles and miles and you can see new parts of the city. But when you're cycling outside, you, you can have coasting breaks, you stop at stop signs and stoplights. And so it's not a constant, you know, flow. Whereas inside you're going the entire time. If you stop there, nothing's happening. You're not going anywhere anyway. So, um, you know, I do most of my rides inside and, and that's because it's more efficient and I don't have to worry about stopping and I can keep that constant pressure on the pedals. And so, um, like you mentioned, the, the muscular strength or strength endurance, um, it's, it's really like, like you said, a constant pressure on the pedals where not only are you pushing down on the pedal stroke, but you're also pulling up. And so, well, let me back up. You should be pushing down and pulling up. Um, so with, with certain bikes, they have the special shoes where you clip the shoe into the pedal. And so you're fixed into the pedal. If you just have a regular, uh, a bike with the, the flat pedal and your foot goes on top, you're not going to have that same push down and pull up effect because if you pull up your foot comes off the pedal. Um, but with the special cycling shoes that cyclists and triathletes have, your foot is locked into that pedal. And so you push down and you're activating your quads and your glutes and your calves, but then you're going to pull up and you also work the tibialis anterior, that muscle that's right on the front of your calf. Um, and that one is involved in dorsiflexion of the foot. So if you imagine the foot like this, this is dorsiflexion and this happens in running as well. And this is a, a very underutilized muscle when we're running. And that one is often when we get those shin splints because that muscle um, it's actually a muscle. It's not bone, but the muscle gets these micro tears and the muscle fibers that causes that sensation. So cycling with those shoes on, it allows you to train that full pedal stroke, that full rotation where you're activating muscles on the way down and on the way up. So you're, you're getting that constant strength endurance, whereas running it's you push off and then you have that active recovery phase. You're not or it's a passive recovery phase. You're not actively 
driving your knee forward or you shouldn't be. Um, so it's, it's different than running in that respect where you're getting full activation of not only the, the posterior chain, the backside, your hamstrings, your glutes, but you're also getting activation of the anterior chain on the quadriceps and the tibialis anterior. So um, it, it's the same as running in the respect that it's still activating some of the same muscles, but it's different in the sense that it's activating the opposite side of the chain as well. Yeah. And that sounds awful now, as you describe that, because you're basically, <laughs> this is why they call it the, like the suffer cave and, or whatever it is, right? The pain so cave. Just, pain cave. Thank you. Yep. So you're suffering 100% of the experience. <laughs> now, obviously, you know, it's, it's minimal suffering if you're doing it right in terms of the right. kind of effort. Well, it depends on the effort you're looking for, but, um, so there's something there. I am curious while, while we're still on the general side of this, because um, I've heard it described like I get off the bike after, let's give an example, like a two hour ride or something, which for me is about as long as I go on a bike. Um, yeah. But I get off the bike after like a two hour ride and walking around is difficult for a bit. Like my legs just feel like it. it it's similar to um, similar to a post marathon before the pain sets in or something like that, where it's just basically like, I'm just weak. You know, I don't, my, my yeah. legs are fatigued to a fairly high degree. And sometimes there's a bit of soreness uh, when I'm in the flow of riding a lot, then it's not really sore anymore. It's just very tired and, mm-hmm. and moving about seems difficult. And it makes me think that, you know, tomorrow when I wake up, I'm going to be like totally wasted and not be able to do anything. But then it seems like the next day I feel all right. And I'm basically able to do it again. And, and I don't understand that. Why, why is that? What's going on with that science like, fatigue? Yeah. Right. Tell me about it, Todd. So, so it's funny that you, you mentioned, you know, when you get off and you're, you're walking and your legs feel really heavy or maybe even like bricks. Um, so in, in triathlon, we actually have workouts that we do that are called brick workouts. So we do a bike and then immediately after the bike, you do a run and it's to get your legs used to that feeling of running off the bike. Because in a triathlon, you swim, then you bike, and then you run. So your, your legs have to get used to that feeling of being really, really heavy and, uh, and still running. So, um, but to answer your question as far as like why your legs feel really heavy that day and, and later in the, in the evening, but then the next day they're, they seem to be totally fine. It goes back to the whole thing of, the non-weight bearing. So when, when you're weight bearing, it's causing more muscle damage. So you're getting those micro tears in the muscle fibers. And actually, so what happens is the muscle fibers are, imagine them were microscoped in here. And sorry for those that are listening on the podcast, but my fingers are interlaced in each other. And so what happens is when the muscles um, get damaged, they stretch and they actually pull apart from each other. Uh, and I'm talking about like the the very very small muscle fibers. Uh, they're called the sarcomere. It's the uh, the functional unit of a muscle. The sarcomeres become uh, unlapped, so they're not they're not crossing over each other. And so what happens is now they're unlapped and they can't can't perform that muscle contraction. So what has to happen is that the muscle has to rebuild and repair itself so that they can you know relapse relapse um so that they can overlap again to then perform that muscle contraction well in the non-weight bearing of cycling i'm not saying that can't happen but it doesn't happen as easily 
as it does with running because there's more muscle damage that occurs with running because it is weight bearing. And so um, those sarcomeres don't over or they don't uh, unlap. And so the next day you're able to still go on with your, your normal daily routine without being as sore as you would if you were to go for a, say, two hour run. Mm -hmm. And that is definitely my experience. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I appreciate that. So we've got some context now. We, we get a bit of understanding about what's going on with the, with the bike versus a run. So then it, it leads to the two basic categories that I want to try to address. The one is let's assume everything's going well. You were saying earlier, you know, I, I, I might want to try to do 100 miles a week, but I'm going to do 80 of it running and 20 on a bike or something like that. And and many talk about like, you know, cycling to running miles. You know, it's not mile to mile, obviously, because uh, it takes you know half the time to ride a mile than it does to run, or if not quite a bit More. shorter than that. Um, so depending, yeah, but but in terms of just volume and trying to supplement my volume, what's the right approach? What What is it that we should be thinking about when we're trying to just jump on a bike one or two days a week to add a little bit to what we're doing on our normal training schedule? That's a great question. So if you want to add to, if you're a strictly runner and you just want to add some volume with decreasing the risk of injury, I know you mentioned the Alter G earlier. That's one thing that you could do that you know, if you didn't have a bike, I know it's probably easier to get access to a bike than an Alter G, but, um, you know, we have one in the, in the lab at the Mary Free Bed Sports uh, Rehabilitation Clinic. And I have a client who comes in like two times a week to run on the Alter G because she's doing so many miles and she wants to alleviate her risk of injury. And, you know, like you said, you run at a very low percentage of your body weight. I mean, you, we can decrease your body weight up to like 20%. So if you weighed a hundred pounds, we could make you weigh 20 pounds. It's like walking on the moon. It's the most amazing thing ever. Um, but for cycling, you can add that to your, um, your, your run training by doing only some easy rides. I wouldn't, if you're strictly a runner, I wouldn't add any like really hard rides into your uh, training. And the reason that you would do this is you're really just trying to facilitate recovery from your last hard workout and get you ready for your next hard workout. Um, and I think we talked about this a little bit on my last podcast, but you are increasing blood flow to the damaged muscles from, you know, let's say you had a track workout on, on Thursday. And so Friday you were going to go for a run, but instead you decide you want to bike because your legs are really sore and, and a run might actually make that worse. You, you can't run slow enough that you're not going to get that pounding still from, from the weight bearing activity. Whereas with cycling, you can easily do a light spin and it's not going to cause that muscle damage, but it is going to improve blood flow to the muscle to help facilitate that repair of those sarcomeres, the muscle fibers, those contractile protein units, um, the actin and myosin and all that fun stuff in there. We won't get too far in depth, but um, facilitating blood flow and removing those um, metabolic byproducts that are produced like carbon dioxide. Um, lactic acid is pretty much removed from the muscle within an hour post-exercise. So if the day after your activity, you are sore, it's not lactic acid. So that's not, cycling is not going to help remove lactic acid, but there are other metabolic byproducts that, that are produced that stick around in the muscle for a little longer that, uh, that, that increased blood flow helps remove those just a little bit more quickly. Yeah. 
you said a light spin. Can you define that more specifically? What is it that, like, am I looking for a certain kind of cadence on the ride? What what defines a good light ride? Yeah, that is, it, it's hard to say because a light spin is going to be different for everybody. And typically when I say light, I'm talking about power and not necessarily cadence because you could have a really high cadence, but still be riding really hard. Whereas you could also have a really low cadence and still be riding really hard. But typically you want to have a, a higher cadence a more up-tempo cadence at around 90 to 100 RPMs, but you want it to be very easy. So um, on a bike, there's typically in, in the front, you have the big chain ring and then you have another smaller chain ring that you can like shift into. And so I would say a small chain ring ride um, that is, is very light and very easy. Now, for those triathletes or multi-sport athletes listening, and we, we typically deal with power on the bike. Um, again, this is kind of dependent on the individual. If the, if the person's, it's called FTP, functional threshold power, it's a measure of power on the bike. If their FTP is really high, then they might be able to ride at easily at 180 watts. Whereas if their FTP isn't as high, they might have to ride easy at 100 watts. So it really depends on the person and there's not like one set power output, but I will say you probably can't go too easy, especially if the bike ride is just to help facilitate recovery from your runs. Um, yeah, there's, there's no such thing as too easy because you're not trying to build fitness in this recovery ride. You're trying to recover from the last hard workout and get yourself ready for the next hard workout. Uh, for running. And that that's a good, clear guidance. And I appreciate that. Um, because what is the goal always matters. You know, we, we talk about that with within any sports, with all athletics, the thing that you're trying to accomplish should define the thing you're doing in a given day. Um, so that that makes a lot of sense. I appreciate that, Todd. That does kind of lend the question. So that may be the goal if supplementing is is purely for just some added kind of recovery volume. Um, how about though for those who are looking for some of their rides to be a harder effort or contributing to some of their fitness goals more directly? What kinds of things are? Let's assume this is a runner focused person um, and they're just using rides for some aspects of things. How do we get like a harder effort in on the bike that is an effective workout? What do these kinds of things look like? Is it the same mindset as a running workout, like tempo versus interval versus hills, you know, all that kind of stuff? Or should we be thinking a little bit differently? No, 100%. It is, it is very similar to the run workouts. And so um, there's, a, there's a famous author named Matt Fitzgerald who I'm sure you've heard of and your listeners have heard of, but it's the 80-20 rule right? 80% of your training should be in zones one or two, and then 20% should be in the other zones. And so if you are adding cycling workouts to supplement your, your running workouts, and you want to get some hard workouts, you should still be following that rule. So you would have to potentially take out a hard running workout. Um, but you could replace a tempo workout on the run with a tempo workout on the bike or threshold with threshold. There's a lot of different things that you can do with cycling too, because it's not as difficult to recover in, in my opinion, it's not, it's not as difficult to recover on the bike as it is on the run. So there are workouts that you can do where, you know, you do a 15 second all out sprint and then take a two minute recovery spin. 
and then do that over and over and over again. And we typically, as distance athletes, marathon runners, we don't do 15 second all out sprint and then jog or walk for two minutes, right? But with cycling, you can because it's you're still getting that aerobic benefit by doing that little spin in between and the repeated 15 seconds over and over and over. It's not as hard on the body. It's not as taxing on the body as it would be if we were doing that like on the track or out on the road running. So adding different workouts that are kind of cycling specific that that we wouldn't normally do during running can really help to take your fitness to the next level and just give you a different stimulus than, than that running does. I can appreciate the thought there, Todd, that it, it's a, it, you can do a comparable kind of concept, but a different kind of stimulus with a different recovery value. And that matters, you know, especially thinking about, I need to get certain kinds of efforts in maybe, um, uh, maybe there's some concern of, you know, there, there might be some amount of injury concern, like I'm not hurt, but there's something that's bothering me a little bit. I could get a hard effort in on the bike instead of a run. Plus I can recover mm-hmm. more easily from that. That's really, it's, it's a really key element to have kind of like in our repertoire, if, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And, and kind of anecdotally, um, over the winter this past year, I, I did some running, you know, I, I mean, I still ran maybe 40 miles a week, but none of it was hard. Um, it was all just pretty easy, maybe some tempo stuff here and there, but I was doing, um, it's called Zwift. It's an indoor cycling platform and your triathletes listening will, will know what Zwift is, but I was doing Zwift races. I was doing one Zwift race a week. And if you're not familiar to those runners out there, this is a, a very high intensity, um, <laughs> race series where there are like professional cyclists and triathletes in this. And I had no business being in these races, let me tell you. Um, and I was just getting my doors blown off, but, but I was working extremely hard, like once a week on the bike and, and I was doing other bike workouts during the week too, and maybe had another night a week where I was, I was working hard on the bike. Um, but come March, I ran, um, my first 5k with really no speed training on the run. And I set a a PR by 15 seconds. And I think you guys were at this race. This was at the, uh, the shamrock shenanigans. Yeah. I think it was. Um, and so I had no business setting a 5k PR by 15 seconds when I had done no run training, but that's just the, the, the benefit of cycling that you can do these cycling workouts that aerobic benefit can still carry over to running and and no cycling is not a replacement for running i want to make that clear you still you in order to be a good runner you have to run it's the principle of specificity right if you want to be a good runner you have to run you can't you can't just swim and bike all the time and then try to go out for a run and expect to be zach ripley um but uh but it can supplement if you still have that that base from running, you can do cycling workouts, you can do aqua jogging and have it supplement that run and still perform well. The thing is that you you have to do that running though because the mechanical damage and the form and the adaptations that occur during running will not happen unless you run. They, you, you can't get that from cycling or aqua jogging. And you have to have that pounding on your muscles and joints, especially when doing longer races, like a 5k, 
anybody can fake it through a 5k it's it's short enough but for a, a half marathon a marathon you have to have that pounding on the muscles and joints in order to to make it through because you have to have that muscular endurance you can't get away with not running for those but cycling is a great way to to add and, and to supplement those running workouts if you're in a, a period of your season where it's just like i'm just going to chill on the run and do some base miles but i'm going to hit it hard on the bike to maintain that cardiovascular fitness hmm. that's great i appreciate that i think the example too todd of um, something like the winter months in, in a, if you live in a wintry state, those of you listening, like we do in West Michigan, um, you know, sometimes training, not only is it difficult to get in quality running if you don't have access to indoor facilities. Um, but it's, it's nearly impossible to want to run every day <laughs> when it's cold and snowy. And so like some people I've talked to, okay, Chris Coster, if you're listening to this, Chris, apparently loves winter training like that's his favorite time of year to run chris i think he's the only person yes <laughs> <laughs> so sorry chris but we're throwing you under the bus so it, but within that dynamic um certainly some of it is just you know i need to be able to if if i care about my fitness goals during that time but i don't want to just like be grinding myself into the frozen tundra um then this kind of a dynamic really it matters and it matters knowing how i can maximize it so I've, I've appreciated that todd i think that's kind of the final step in the process for me here which is um let's assume i can't run at all so like an injury or rehabilitation period or even by willful so like post marathon i know a lot of marathoners out there feel like when they have a really big buildup for a marathon, it's hard to want to get back into running right away or like we want to right away, but then we really quickly burn out and we're like, I'm sick of this. So there's oftentimes periods where it's like maybe two months on a bike isn't a bad idea now and again, um, especially after kind of like a big moment or in a rehabilitative period. But how do I use the bike to put myself in the best possible position, assuming I can do all of these things, you know, that injury isn't preventing me from riding either. What do, what do we try to do? Yeah. You know, and, and especially post marathon or something, cycling is just a great way to, to get outside and, and be outside and kind of like feel the wind in your hair and smell the roses. And, and honestly, it's, it's a new area that, of research that's coming out. That's, um, just being about about being outside and the benefits that that has and cycling is such a great way to do that i mean think about back when we were kids when we could go and ride our bikes and just do things that i feel like kids today don't have that same that same benefit that we did but you know it's it's almost a sense of freedom that you can just kind of go out and ride and and not have to worry about things. And especially post-marathon where you're not trying to hit paces or splits or anything like that. Just go and listen to your body and do what feels good for uh, your body and mind, especially. This is one thing that I do with the athletes who I coach is, you know, the week after an Ironman or a marathon, it's like, take a leisure week. There's no set paces. There's no plan. Do what feels good. Because not only... Do you need a physical break from training, but you need a mental break as well. And that's where cycling can really come in, especially if you talk about grinding yourself into the ground and you're looking for something different to, to shake things up. Cycling is a great way to do that. And while also maintaining that cardiovascular fitness, because 
one of the big issues that I see with people is that after a marathon season, you know, they just take like two weeks completely off. Well, unfortunately, when you take time off, your fitness decreases. So for every week off, for every week that you take off, your fitness decreases. And when I say fitness, I mean your VO2 max uh, by about 7% every week. And so, well, seven to 10%. So it, it can be a vast range. And um, there's a saying out there, it's seven days without exercise makes one week. W-E-A-K. But also, is this thing on? Hello? Hello? Testing? Um, so, so your fitness decreases pretty rapidly. I mean, after one week with no exercise, you're, you're down 10%. So if your VO2 max was 50, well, now it's down to 45. And so if you take two weeks completely off, I mean, you're, you're starting over from, um, you know, a long way down. And so by maintaining that cardiovascular fitness through cycling, you don't have to worry about that. And no, you might not gain, like, I know you guys talked about on the aqua jogging podcast, like you're probably not going to gain any fitness, but you're not going to lose fitness by maintaining that. And so even just doing a couple of cycling sessions a few times a week, it's going to help maintain that because if you let your fitness drop too much, it actually takes about four times as long to go back up. So for every one week that you detrain, it takes about four weeks to get back to that same spot. So it ain't, ain't nobody got time for that, right? <laughs> right. So, so cycling is just a really great way to, 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 to keep that, that flowing and, and making sure that, you know, you're not digging yourself in that hole. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. And, um, and, and those multiple sides of it, you know, the, the physical break in a sense, um, or at least physical difference. And then the mental component with that, that's one of the things you mentioned Zwift earlier. Um, I found right away when I had to spend a winter on the bike that uh, Zwift is one of those things that just helped it kind of still feel like, um, you know, well, so I was able to ride with some of my friends in their basements yeah. in separate places, you know, which was nice. Um, but then jumping in some of those more competitive rides and you said you had no place in some of those races. I jumped in some races at one point and I'm like, why am I even pre pretending here? Um, but it's, but it's fun. And so it's ways, it's ways for us to kind of like keep, what we like about the running experience, you know, we like to be able to run with other people or run in new places. You mentioned like getting outside and, um, but we also like to, you know, push ourselves and challenge ourselves and things like that. And I think so many people think about the bike as like, I have to sit on, you know, the exercise bike at the gym, right? I have to sit on that exercise bike forever and ever and stare at my show that I'm watching most of the time. Um, and then you have that, or you have like, I have to buy a Peloton. Everyone's just like, I just got, I have to buy a Peloton. And one of the things that's always frustrating to me about the Peloton is the Peloton workouts are not designed for your training. So it may be that some of those things could align with what you need to be doing for something, but just trying to do Peloton every day isn't necessarily really solving your unique problem either. So finding what's better in the middle there, I think matters a lot. And that's, I appreciate that. That's very helpful. Um, if, if we could, if there's anything else about what makes what, what can help us enjoy the biking experience a little bit better? Do, do we need to wear the padded shorts? Do we need to make sure that our adjustment, like do we have to take the bike into a shop and get it specifically fitted? What, what do we have to do to make sure that we have a good time when we saddle up? 
Yeah, so the paddle, uh, the paddle, the uh, the padded shorts are a must, uh, especially if you're going to ride for a long time, because <clears throat> some of the bikes do not have the most comfortable seats. And so uh, having those padded shorts are, are definitely a plus. Um, I don't know. Do you do you have padded shorts when you ride for two hours? Yes, I do. Yeah, see. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, that was a mistake that you learned the hard way that hopefully we can prevent others from from making the same mistake. But, you know, like like you mentioned, having fun, having fun is the main goal. And so whether that's getting outside for you or riding on Zwift and doing a Zwift race, I rode with a, a teammate from Canada yesterday. Like nice. it was awesome. Like we, we were chatting the whole time, just riding with each other. Um, you know, you can play leapfrog, like have one person go in front for five minutes and then the other person go in front. And so really finding whatever is fun for you. If that's Zwift, great. If that's getting outside, great. If that's watching the bachelorette, not that I know what that's like, <laughs> then great. No judging here. Um, <laughs> but, but it, it's about finding what, what is good for you. And it's going to be different for, for everybody. Not everybody is going to want to do a Zwift race. Not everybody is going to want to ride outside. Um, everybody will want the padded shorts. So make sure you get those. Um, uh, and you don't need a Peloton. Like Zach said, the thing with the Peloton is that it doesn't give workouts that are specific to you. And that's why it's important that you work with a coach like Zach and Andy who can put that into your training. Like if you talk to them, they'll be able to work with you on that. Or, you know, if they're just doing the running coaching, you have your cycling coach or your triathlon coach that can, that can help you with that. But having a, 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 a credentialed expert with the knowledge necessary to um, work those workouts and incorporate those workouts into your plan is going to be really important. And so you're not just kind of like haphazardly doing things here and there, but um, definitely like finding what is fun for you. And that is just going to make a world of difference because that's why we do this, right? We do this for fun. Uh, most of us, I'd say most of your listeners are probably not professional runners or triathletes who make a living doing this, even though uh, both you and I and Andy are all extremely high level athletes. Um, I, I don't make a living from, I've made a few, a few dollars from triathlon races here and there. I'm sure you guys have made some money, but it's not, it's not like you're bringing in tens of thousands of dollars a year. So you have to, you have to remember that this is all for fun and, and keeping that in mind when doing the cycling is going to go a long way. Hmm. Well, that's great advice all around, but appreciate uh, the thought and reflection on the bike itself. So Todd, always grateful. So very much so for your time and your expertise with these things. Um, now, I just have to, for our audience's sake, the next thing coming up for you is uh, a multi-event without the run. Um, so just just tell our audience, how do you feel about how do you feel about a swim bike that's runless? Do you like those things more or less with certain parts and pieces? <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be rough. Um, the run is definitely my strength. Uh, and so you know we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, I wouldn't say I'm weak in the swim or the bike, but it's definitely, they're not, uh, not as strong as my run. This is the first time that I've ever done, it's called an aqua bike. Um, so it's the first time I've ever done one and, um, it's the national championship. So 
it's uh, the Olympic distance, which it'll be about a mile swim and a 25 mile bike. So I guess the good thing is that I don't have to save anything for the run at the end. So I can just go all out on the swim and bike and just be toast when I cross the finish line. And that's fine. So I don't have to run afterward. <laughs> there's, there's at least that. So we've got some <laughs> silver, small lining. silver lining. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Excellent. Well, we certainly wish you the best of luck with that. And as mentioned, really appreciate your time and energies being able to help us all out as we try to figure out how to incorporate biking into our running. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate it. Well, as you can see, I myself thoroughly enjoyed the conversation with Todd and especially the nuances around how we can use other kinds of activities to the most profitable end to accomplish our running goals as well. And so I hope you gleaned from that those insights and learned a little bit about all the other multi-sport events as they exist in the world that you may not have been as keenly aware of. So with that, let's go ahead and get on to the world of running. To kick off our world of running, I want to give a couple kudos and congratulations to A to Z runners. We have two that ran half marathon PRs recently, Pete and Laura, congrats to both of you and these big PRs. Also to Nikki for another BQ and another uh, PR for her as well. So congrats to you, Nikki. Now we're going to start up with the London marathon. Many of you ran it. So congrats to those of you who ran it. We're going to start with a couple highlights and first a fun fact, the London marathon is the largest annual fundraising event in the world. So that's like all the events, not just races. This event raises about $900 million. Wow. Quite amazing. Now for the performances on the men's side, Sisse Lemma, of Ethiopia ran 20401. This was his first world major marathon win. And he's been on the scene for quite some time since he was 17 years old. And now he's 31. So he's been on the scene for a long time. So we're happy to see him get his first major marathon victory. And then Vincent uh, Kipkumba was runner up this year. And he was the runner up in the last London marathon last year. And for the women, Jocelyn uh, Jepkosge of Kenya was the winner in a time of 2.17.43. And this is not someone that you heard us speaking about in the for the Olympics because she actually wasn't selected for Kenya's team. They just have so many amazing runners. Um, so uh, Jocelyn, she did an amazing job at this London Marathon and uh, ran in that victory time of 2.17.43. Now there are five women to actually break 219. And one of those women was Olympic silver medalist Bridget Cosguy in fourth place. We've been giving you some info about Shailene Flanagan, and she has been uh, doing the marathon circuit. She just began the marathon circuit and um, for the world majors, excuse me. And she uh, ran a time of 235.04. And I read in her Instagram that this was a very hard way to run uh, her second of the series of world majors because she went out with this sub elite men and she like stayed with them for a while. And at 10K, she knew this was bad news. So although her goal is to just break like three for each one, which it seems like she just like crushed that with a 235, she said it was a very difficult thing to do. And she will have back-to-back races this coming weekend 
Chicago and then Boston. So back to back races where she wants to run sub three and she's got some tired legs right now. So hoping she recovers well. Now on to Geneva, Switzerland for the Giants Geneva 10K. And the reason we're speaking of this race, this is not normally one that we might pull up for you, but there was a world record and we always love to share world records with you. The Olympic 10,000 meter silver medalist, uh, Kalkadan Jezza Hegne ran in a time of 29:38, the new world record, beating the previous world record by five seconds. The previous record holder was the London Marathon winner, Jip Kazgai, whom we mentioned just now. She won the London Marathon. I wonder if that like lessens the blow that someone boat, uh, beat her world record to have her like win a major marathon. Probably. I would hope so. Now on the men's side is also very exciting. The world half marathon record holder, Kibiwat Candy one in a victorious time of 2651. And he was six seconds ahead of, uh, Kip Kowich and Kibi Watt was third in a time of 2713. So exciting men's finish too. And in fourth place, we do want to mention this one too, because it was an Italian record uh, that was established by Pietro Riva in a time of 2806. Now, looking ahead, we have the Chicago Marathon, Boston Marathon, and we're wishing many of you and our athletes good luck at those events. We will be trying to track as much as we can. I did want to mention that Sarah Hall has declared her intent to attempt to break Dina Castor's 15-year-old American record of 219.36. This will be her second attempt that I know of. Hall's PR is 220.32, so Breaking Dina Castor's time, she'll need to run an average faster than 520 per mile. So we can't wait to report on these major marathons coming up for you next week. And that brings our conversation today to a close. We appreciate your ears for hearing it, your eyes for watching it, for those of you who were on YouTube watching it. And if you didn't know we are on all the different platforms, if you're only listening, we are also on YouTube and there are certainly things to see there. If you're only watching, we are also on the pod, all the podcast places where you can listen at your convenience, Apple, Google, all of those kinds of things. And of course, the most important thing to do so that you don't miss anything good going on is to head to adzrunning.com, look for the word follow. And from there, we'll keep you informed of the very good work that we're trying to do on behalf of running and runners all over the place. So thanks again for listening and we will talk to you again soon.